In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So today is going to be the first time that we try to do the Bible study completely online. Um, as most of you are probably aware by now, in Texas we were um, told that we can't have gatherings of more than 10 people. And so we decided to do the Bible study completely online as well as a lot of the other services uh, that we have in the church. And we pray that this time does not last uh, very long. But, you know, we're going to make do with, um, you know, with what we have, uh, you know, to work with now. So I thought that today, instead of continuing the series in the First Corinthians, uh, as we've been studying, it'd be a good to pause and maybe kind of take stock in what's happening um, and to try to understand it better and to see how we can make sense of it and at the same time, you know, strengthen our faith and to feel like really God is the one in control and it's not it's not an out of control situation. Um, so um, I'm going to talk a little bit about Second Chronicles uh, chapter 7 um, verse 14 and we can start actually um, from the previous verse. Um, this is actually the context of this is when King Solomon has built the temple and he is dedicating the temple uh, and so God is speaking to King Solomon about how he will hear the prayers that are offered in the temple. And he's speaking here, uh, God is speaking about some future, you know, hypothetical events uh, that would happen in the future. And he says in verse 13, he says, When I shut up heaven and there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people. He's speaking about that these are things that could happen in the future. Um, and I feel like it's very relevant to what we're uh, experiencing now, especially the last part, sending pestilence among the people. And you know, when we speak about this, we don't we don't say that God is the one who is sending pestilence or God is the one who is um, attacking us or or intending for us to suffer. But this is also by God's permissive will. I mean, we believe that um, through the the entrance of sin into the world, the sin of Adam and Eve, um, that the world became corrupted. And certainly all of the disasters and things that we experience today is a result of that sin. Um, God never intended for us to experience these things. Um, but really, it is by our own choice that all these things have entered. So it is not that we are saying that somehow God is directly punishing us or a certain group of people for any specific sin. But really, it is the sin of rejecting him. It's the sin of trying to live life without him. It's the sin of more and more in our society that we see that people are turning away from God, believing less in Him, going to church less, praying less, uh, living for themselves, you know, being attracted and attached to the world much more than to anything else. And essentially, He has been ejected um, out of society. And we see that in general. And maybe, uh, you know, as a society as a whole, we see that. And maybe even on our own hearts, we see that, that we um, eject God. You know, it's so easy for us to be attracted to different things in the world and forget that, you know, God is there and that God wants us to worship him and that our true sense of security or our true love should be coming, you know, from him and to him, not from the world and the things in it. And we begin to become complacent uh, because we are so comfortable in the world and comfortable with the things that we have and comfortable with the ordered society that we have built. Um, and it reminds me of uh, the time of the Tower of Babel, where the people believed that they could build the tower so high to reach heaven, and they could become as gods themselves, and that if God even tried to send another flood uh, on the world, that they could somehow go up there on that tower and be safe uh, from, you know, from his attacks on them, so to speak. And so they made themselves to be equal to God and more clever than him. And I feel that very much categorizes where we are today, is that as a society, we feel like we don't need God, we don't believe in God, we have become gods ourselves. And so here, when God is speaking to King Solomon, and he's describing these pestilences, these plagues, these, you know, destructive events that are happening in the world, and he's describing that they are going to come, because this is the sin that is in the world. But then he goes on. Um, you know, to the next verse, and he's now he's speaking about, you know, what is going to happen, uh, or how God is going to respond when people come to that temple, 
temple that King Solomon is dedicating, and, and God is saying, when all of those things happen, okay, what is what is what is he going to do? Kind of to try to understand this verse, um, you know, we, we kind of break it up into three parts. Uh, we say that uh, the first part is speaking about our identity, where it says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. So the first part is we have to know who is it that we are. And um, here in this verse in the book of Isaiah, we, you know, we remember, um, uh, we remember uh, kind of like who is the master and who is the servant. When it says in Isaiah chapter 10, shall the axe boast itself against him who chops with it, or shall the saw exalt itself against him who saws with it? As if a rod could wield itself against those who lift it up, or as if a staff could lift up as it were not wood. So um, the idea here is what is that we have abandoned the idea that God is the master. You know, um, maybe even those people who believe in God and yet act as though God is there as their tool, as someone who is there to to do what it is they ask, um, someone who can grant my wishes. Even even we who sometimes who believe in God sometimes look at God like this, but certainly those people who do not believe in God at all, um, they, they they see that the idea of God is unnecessary because we have conquered everything. And maybe those of us who, uh, in society, who had believed that you know we were masters of science, now if you look at the situation um, around us, we see that our science it was not enough to prevent this epidemic from happening. Um, and so even though we pray that through science and through the work of a lot of people that will be able to overcome it, will be able to quell it. But it's a reminder to us of our vulnerability, of that we are really in need of someone greater than us. We are in need of God who is greater. We are in need of him who um, protects us and that we are his servants and we are called to, to do what he asks. And so this verse is saying, it's like we are the axe who forgets that someone is wielding us as, as an axe. Maybe we can work, maybe we can chop down trees, and the axe says to itself, you know, I'm such a, a strong and powerful axe because I'm able to cut down trees. Um, or I'm such a strong and powerful saw because I'm able to saw through wood. And yet the real power is coming through the one who is wielding the axe or wielding the saw. It is it is not because the power is in, is in of the axe or the saw itself, but it is because it is being used by the master. It is being used by the owner. He is the one who is actually doing the work and we are like tools in his hand. So the first step of this idea of healing comes from what it comes from the idea that we understand that we are his people, right? We are we are his people. We can't move on to the next stage of this process of healing until we realize that we are his people. The second part of the verse it says what who are called by my name. Who are called by my name. So he calls us he calls us to discover him. He calls us to know him. He calls us to obey him. He calls us um, by name, meaning that he personally knows each of us and that he is asking each of us to do something. He's asking each of us to worship him as individuals. It is not just the collective worship. You know, sometimes we feel like we are part of the church. You know, uh, we pray together with others. We we are involved in activities with others. We, we do a lot of things um, with others. Uh, but what about me as an individual? For instance, now, during this time where the churches are not open, uh, during this time where I cannot just freely go to a liturgy, do I pray at home? You know, do I, do I find myself that I was relying completely on the prayers in the church and I didn't ever pray at home? And now we see that maybe the prayer at home is the only prayer opportunity that I'm going to have for, for some time. You know, what are we doing? Is, is it really that I am called by his name, that I as an individual am being called, that God sees me as an individual and I'm responding as an individual? Or is it only that when I join together with other believers and then I say, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to pray as a part of a liturgy, I'm going to attend a liturgy, but I'm not going to pray on my own. So, you know, what does it mean that we are called by his name? So first is he's calling us to know him, right? He's calling us to know him. And and, and through knowing God, we begin to understand ourselves as well. Through knowing God and, and, and how, why he made us and why he made the world, we begin to understand ourselves and we begin to understand what is our place. You know, what is our place in the universe that God created, 
right? He created in the book of Genesis everything, and we see the process of him creating everything, and he sees that he created us in the end. Why did God make us, right? What are What is our purpose? Why are we here, and what is it that should we be doing? Um, we begin to understand our relationship to everything and everyone else around us. You know, what is my relationship to the world? What is my relationship to other people? What is my relationship to God, okay? We understand our origin and we understand our destination, right? In order to be called by his name, we we submit and we understand who is it that we are and he calls us to know him. He also calls us to some kind of a purpose, right? That this world is not aimless. You know, uh, a lot of people who are not believers, um, by default, kind of the, the, the aim and the purpose of life becomes to, you know, to accumulate wealth and possessions and have pleasurable experiences and to be happy you know that that becomes really the the aim you know that's why that's why i'm here that's what i'm doing and when we see that this world whose purpose is to make me happy to give me joy and to give me comfort when we begin to see that that joy that 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 world is not giving me any of those things it's not giving me joy it's not giving me comfort actually it's bringing me all kinds of anxiety and stress and fear and worry and concern then we begin to say well what is it that i have if all i had was this world and the things in this world and the people in this world if that is really all that i have then i really don't have anything right because we see in the days that we're living in today that this world is far more vulnerable that this world is far more delicate and fragile than maybe we had ever imagined anyone that even when you watch the news and people will say, we have never seen anything like this happen ever, you know, to have a, 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 a pandemic of this scale in the whole world affecting everyone in the entire world. It's a, it's a wake up call for sure. And it's a reminder that we are called by his name to live a life pleasing to him. And ultimately that life, the majority of that life is not even lived here in this world. This world is just a temporary place. It's not where we will spend eternity, uh, with him so we are part of like a grander plan it's not just about my self-amusement my gratification it's not just about my pursuits my desires there is something far greater when we say we are called by his name in first uh, corinthians 12 it says there are diversities of gifts but the same spirit there are diversities of ministries but the same lord and there are diversities of activities but it is the same god who works all in all but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. What is the source of our talents? What is the source of our strengths? What is the source of any good thing that we do and the source of our purpose? It's coming from God. God is the one who gives us that purpose. God is the one who tells each of us and he gives to each of us some talent, some strength, some reason for being here. What is it that we are here to do? Are we here simply because we want to amass possessions and wealth? No, he's saying we're here because he wants us to worship him. He wants us to serve one another. He wants us to um, you know, care about his people, to bring other people to salvation. He wants us to be a model to show, that, to show the rest of the world the path of salvation. These are all purposes that God has given. It is not about me. It is not about selfish desires and pursuits. It's about... What is it that God has called me to, right? And this is a big part of understanding who I am, right? I understand that he is the master and I am the servant. And I understand that he has put me here for a reason. And when I begin to understand that reason that he has put me here, it helps to frame and to put into context everything else, right? Because I'm not here just to do what I please. You know, we see even now in these days where people are perverting sexuality. Where God created sexuality to be holy and pure, and people pervert it by abusing it outside of marriage, by abusing it with genders, you know, that God was never intending for us to have a relationship with, by all of the the perversions, the sexual perversions, for instance, that exist in the world that people pursue. This is all a direct attack on God, because God is the one who made sexuality, and God created it for a purpose, to be used in a certain way, and to be enjoyed by people in a certain way. And yet the world has come and said, no, I don't have to acknowledge my biology. I don't have to acknowledge that uh, I am made a certain way. I will decide for myself what I am. 
I will decide for myself whether I'm a man or a woman. I will decide for myself whether I want to marry a man or a woman. I will decide for myself. And not just man or woman, but a myriad of different possibilities that I can now identify as, right? All of this is an attack on the creator, right? The one who made us to be a certain way. So that's the first part is who am I? Okay, the next part is, this is again based on 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 14. So the next part of the verse is speaking about what is it that I should do, right? What is it that I should do? So the next part of the verse, it says, will humble themselves, will humble themselves. God is asking us to humble ourselves. What does it mean to be humble? You know, maybe when we think of a person who is humble or we think and imagine of um, someone is humble, we, we think of them acting a certain way or, or maybe bowing their head down, looking at the ground, you know, patting their chest. Uh, you know, there's certain ways of, of you know, that, that people kind of perceive or understand what does it mean to, hum to be humble. And maybe in our society, actually being humble is considered being a weakling, you know, being someone that lets other people trample on you to take away your rights. It's actually considered something not very desirable, you know, in our society to be humble. But when we speak about humility, what do we mean? We don't. We're not talking about like self-deprecation. Um, we're talking about acknowledging the truth. That's what humility is about. Humility is acknowledging the truth. If I uh, understand and acknowledge the truth that I am but made of dust, and God is eternal and all-powerful, then I am humble. Then I will be humble. Because I will live my life with that understanding. I will live my life not forgetting that I am made by him and I am made of dust. And that is all that I am. And the only reason that I would have eternal life is not because I deserve it, not because I can wield it, not because I created it for myself, but simply because God allows us to participate in it, to partake of it. Not because I, I am able. I am not by nature anything. I am by nature nothing. And yet God is the one who has given us being and life and thought and mind and emotions and, and everything that comes from him. And I have nothing of myself. So it's important for, for me to understand this in order to be truly humble. This is what it means to be humble. Um, so God here is promising that for those who acknowledge who they truly are, what is their true identity, that they acknowledge that they are made of dust, and that God is the creator. This is the first step of what is it that we should do. We acknowledge who we are. In Isaiah 57, it says, For thus says the high and lofty one, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. He, the one who dwells in the high and holy place, he works with those who are contrite and humble. These are the ones that he works with. These are the ones that he fills. These are the ones that he uses. These are the ones that he comforts. Because these people acknowledge that they are created by God and that God designed them for a purpose and that they sub submit to God's will. You know, even as we talk about this um, disaster that's happening in the world today, you know, who is it that is going to truly humble themselves? There, there are those who acknowledge that we are sinners. You know, um, in the book of Daniel, when Daniel is praying to God and asking him to, uh, to release and to free the Israelites from captivity in Babylon back to Israel. And Daniel is, and so I believe it's in Daniel chapter 9, he acknowledges his own sin. He acknowledges his own sin, even though it was not his sin that resulted in the exile. It wasn't because Daniel was such a bad guy that God said, you know what, Daniel, I'm going to send you to exile with all these other Israelites to Babylon and be there for 70 years. It wasn't because Daniel had committed some personal sin that was the result of this. Actually, Daniel was one of the most righteous of all of the people that were exiled. And yet when Daniel was praying and asking for God to have mercy on them and to look upon them. He acknowledged his own sin and he considered himself one with all of the other people and said, you know, he is the one who sinned. He is the one who has done wrong. He is the one who deserves punishment. And yet he calls upon God to, um, to, to hear his prayer 
and to restore his people and himself back again. So it's, it's very important for us to humble ourselves before God and to acknowledge our sin. This does not mean that it is because of the sin I committed yesterday that now God is sending a plague upon the earth. That's not what I'm trying to say. But we collectively, as humanity, that have sinned against God in all the myriad and various ways that we sin, when we refuse to repent, when we refuse to turn, when we refuse to acknowledge that God is the creator and that we are but dust, this pride that we exhibit, God must correct. And, and this correction is not because God is angry. This correction is not because God is seeking to destroy us. If God wants to destroy us, he could destroy us so easily in so many ways. We would already be destroyed if God wanted to destroy us. God wants to wake us up. God wants us to realize the reality, the truth. Wants us to become humble by realizing the truth that I am but dust. You know, wake up and see that you are but dust. Wake up and see how much you need me. You are not able to live on your own. You are not able to decide on your own. You are not able to survive on your own. You are but temporary creatures that without me would have no life. And so God wants us to see this because he is the source of life. So if God were to allow such a disease or any other catastrophe that people experience in the world for the sake of reminding me, you know, not to destroy me, but to remind me out of his goodness that I am in need of him, then he will do so, so that we would gain that contrite and humble spirit. And having gained it, then he would what? He would revive our heart. This is what it says, and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. And when our hearts are revived, this is truly when we experience what life means. Life is not found in the pleasures of the world. Life is not found in the money of the world. Life is not found in all of the hopes and desires and aspirations and ambitions that we have in the world, but life is truly found in the presence of God. And when we taste the presence of God, even while we are here in the world, it tastes different than any other taste. It tastes different than any other experience. And in those experiences, this is where we wish to dwell in, in the courts of the house of the Lord forever. We, we just We want to be with him forever. And we cannot achieve that. We cannot reach that. We cannot taste that from God unless we humble ourselves. The next, um, the next thing that in the verse, Second Corinthians, Second uh, Chronicles seven, verse fourteen, the the next thing it says is what, what is it that we are called to do? We are called to pray, and seek His face. Pray, pray, and seek His face. So, He wants us to pursue our relationship with Him, right? He wants us to pursue a relationship with Him. What does it mean? To pursue a relationship it means that we care about the things he cares about it means that we we sacrifice the things that we desire that our flesh desires that he says are wrong the things that take us away from him the things that in this world distract us that keep us from praying to keep us from acknowledging him to keep us from following his commandments. These are the things that separate us from God. These sins, these passions, these wrong desires that I seek after. But if I seek God, and if I pray to him, and if I sacrifice my time, my desires for him, and if I submit myself to his authority, to his rule, and if I ask him to meet my needs and I do not seek my needs in other places, this is what it means to seek him. I find my sufficiency in him. In the Old Testament, whenever the Israelites were having wars against them from the enemy nations god would always tell them don't go and get assistance and help from other countries i will be the one to protect you i will be the one to grant you victory over your enemies but the people the israelites they were so afraid they didn't have faith or trust that god would do this so they would go after these other nations and they would seek um, assistance military help from them and the end it never turned out well you know and god rebuked them because they go after these other comforts, they go after these other protectors, right? And a big reason of suffering that exists in the world uh, in general is because people try to find comfort in things other than God, right? We we try to find comfort. We try to seek, uh, you know, a feeling of contentment or pleasure or you know something to relieve our anxieties in medication in drugs, in alcohol, in TV, in whatever, 
that we do things simply because we want to forget our life. We want to forget the pain. We want to forget the things that are scaring us, the things that are hurting us. We want to forget those things. So because we want to forget those things, instead of turning to God and saying, God, you are the one that is protecting me. You are the one that's taking away these anxieties. You are the one that will grant me hope and peace. Instead, I go to a lot of these other things instead of him. Just like the Israelites, they went to these other nations for protection from their enemies instead of going to God. So here God is saying, if you really want the true healing, if you really want the long-lasting healing that abides, you know, he says, come and ask me. Seek it from me. And seeking from God does not just mean I say a short prayer one day and that's it. You know, as, as, as Christ gave us the parable of the persistent widow, and he said, this persistent widow sought justice from the unjust judge um, for such a long time, persisting, asking him for, for justice from her enemies, asking him over and over and over and over, until finally, simply because he was tired of her pestering him, that he granted her uh, her desire. And so Christ in the parable said, if this unjust and wicked judge granted this woman her desire simply because she pestered him, how much more with God in heaven who loves us answer our prayers when we are persistent in them? And this is what Christ is saying. We, we have to pray with faith. We have to pray believing that God is listening and hearing and trusting that he will respond in the appropriate way. You know, even now, as we pray for the peace in the world and we pray for God to end this uh, pestilence, to end this disease and to deliver everyone from it, um, do we do it in faith? Do we do it believing? Do we do it knowing that God is going to allow to happen what he feels is necessary to happen and, and we don't know what that is? Um, or do we feel like um, he is not hearing, he is not listening, he is not with us, he is not responding to us. It's important for us that when we pray, we pray believing and seeking that he is really the solution. He is the solution, number one solution. Maybe the solution is going to come through doctors and medicines and you know quarantines and all the things that humanity is doing, but God is the one directing it. And if we were to seek it from God, and God were to direct humanity in the right way, then this would be the best solution. This would be the best way, in a way that glorifies Him. In Psalm 145, 18, it says, The Lord is near to all who call upon Him, to all who call upon Him in truth. And this is what we are asking. God says, if you want the healing, if you want Him to respond in all the ways we are asking Him to respond, then we have to pray and to seek it from Him so that He will respond to us. The last part of the verse that's speaking about our uh, our part, that's speaking about what is it that's our role in in this healing. It's the, the last part he says is to turn from our wicked ways. Turn from our wicked ways. Turning from our wicked ways means that we acknowledge that our desires, the things that we want, are not all pleasing to God. And to say that even though I have desires that are not pleasing to God and that they bring me pleasure, but that I will not do them. I will not indulge in them. I will sacrifice what my flesh wants. I will not listen to my flesh. I will not give my flesh everything that it wants. And when I fall into sin because of my weakness, I will repent. Sin is disobedience to God. Okay, And this is the reason for the corruption in the world that happened to begin with is because we had this desire to sin you know Adam and Eve had this desire to be like God and when Eve heard that from the serpent and believed the serpent that if she were eat, eat of the tree of the forbidden fruit, fruit that she would be like God then she was attracted to this that she wanted it right and this was her sin is that her desire to be like God but God in his love granted them free will to choose to obey whatever it is or to disobey whatever they wanted right this was actually an act of love uh, we spoke about this actually on sunday um, in the in the gospel sermon the prodigal son of how the father gave the freedom to both of his sons in the parable um, to choose as they pleased you know the prodigal son he asked for the inheritance early he 
he went and wasted it and did all kinds of evil things with it and the father allowed him because it was his decision it was his choice and so just as it is our choice to turn to wickedness it is also our choice to turn away from wickedness and God wants to see us begin to turn you know God responds when we just begin to turn it's just the beginning of a turn God responds you know it doesn't mean that we have become saints doesn't mean that we have transformed our lives completely for A to Z. He just sees that we begin, that we begin to think about turning, that we begin to desire to turn, that we begin to to think about our sins and the things that we do wrong and want to change. Right? This is the beginning of repentance. This is the beginning of turning. Um, God desires for us that we are protected in Him. He desires the the father of the prodigal son desired that the son would remain in his house, that he would be safe and protected there and he knew that when he you know committed sin and left and took all of those possessions and left he knew that he was in danger he knew that this was not good for him and yet he allowed him to go so that he would taste the sin taste the consequences of sin and that he would uh, return again so in order us for us to be in union with god in order for us to be with god then we have to remove sin from ourselves because sin is the barrier sin is the barrier that keeps us from God and repentance is the means to remove it in 1st John 1 9 he says if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and so how faithful God is that he doesn't hold against us our sins he doesn't hold against us our mistakes our shortcomings our fair our fa failures instead he says what even when you begin to turn I will see you and I will respond when you begin to confess I will forgive right he is faithful to us and this is the the last step that he mentioned here in this verse for us to begin this process of healing is we have to acknowledge our own weakness we can't be prideful and say you know what I do nothing wrong I can't say, you know, God, you must sanction my lifestyle. It is because I want you to declare that everything that I do is correct and I am not willing to submit to your law. No, this is this is not the path of healing. This is the path of further destruction. And this is the path that the world is on. It is the path of further perversion and deviation from God's law. And we see this disease as a manifestation of that perversion. So here God is saying, acknowledge your sin. Acknowledge your weakness. Acknowledge that my law is the right law, even when you can't follow it, even when you struggle in it, even when you find yourselves falling hundreds of times. At least acknowledge that my law is the right law, is what I should be going toward. You know, it's one thing for us to acknowledge that God's way is right, but we fail to do it, versus just saying, you know what, no, my way is actually right, and God's way is the way that is perverse, and that's what's happened in the world. We have declared God's law to be perverse and we have substituted our own law and we go after our own law and in the end we find what that there is no joy in it and there is no prosperity in it and all we find is desolation and this desolation that we're experiencing now in the world because we have gone so far away from God as a society and that we have forgotten him completely but God has always left for us open this um, possibility of returning there is no uh, there is no possibility that we ever go so far away that there is no coming back again and if God allows suffering for us in order to see and to realize how far we have strayed just like the prodigal son suffering he experienced then God will do it not because he wants us to suffer but because he wants us to see how much we need him and how much we should return and go back to him again so this was the last point of what is it that we are called to do now we will begin to talk about the last part of the verse which is what is it that God will do how is God now going to respond when he sees someone who is you know acknowledges his identity as being in God that is realizes that he is called by God's name and that he has a purpose according to what God has 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 said that he humbles himself that he prays, he seeks his fa uh, the face of God, that he turns from his wicked ways. If someone is doing all of those things actively, and if as society as a whole, if we are doing all those things actively, right? How is it that God will respond? What will God do? Okay. So the first point 
that he says is that God will hear from heaven. He will hear. You know, he is listening. He is attentive. He is not ignoring us, right? He's going to know and see our response, our attitudes, our actions. God is aware of us. You know, sometimes we feel like he's invisible and we're not really thinking about him or that he is really paying attention. He's paying attention. And when he sees that we begin to pray to him, to seek him, to humble ourselves, he will hear. It's the first thing. This prayer that we're praying is not one-sided. Sometimes we, we feel like when we go and stand to pray before God that we are just, you know, praying by saying a lot of words that we have been taught are the right words to say. And I'm supposed to do them. And when I do them, then that's good. Prayer is a conversation. And when we begin to pray with the right heart and the right spirit, God hears us from heaven. Prayer is not one-sided. Um, God listens and, and God is actually going to respond to the prayer. Because that's what we're speaking about now. Is How is it that God responds? Prayer removes the separation between heaven and earth. You know, we, we feel like there's this great gap between heaven and earth. And we are here and we do not see the heavenly things. And somehow God is up there and he does not see the earthly things. We feel kind of comfortable in our earthly domain and we feel like we understand it pretty well. We don't really understand heaven so well. And we think also like the heavenly people, like they're kind of in their heavenly domain and they're not here on earth with us. Prayer, you know, removes the barrier of separation between heaven and earth. Because when we begin to pray, the heavens are open and God hears and listens and responds to us. And also we, when we pray, begin to see the heavenly. We begin to realize and understand that there are things greater than what are on the earth. There are things beyond what are on the earth. There are things that, that, that we, even though we are taught about and we know exist, but we don't really see them. We don't really know about them. But when we kind of grow in a habit of prayer, we begin to feel them. We begin to, 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 to grow in faith, really, truly believing that these heavenly things are there, that the saints are really there, that God is really there, that he's really listening, that he's really responding. It goes from being just a faith of, I know Bible verses and I, I, I have a theoretical faith, to a true living experiential faith with God when we pray. In First Peter 3, it says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Right when 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 we are seeking righteousness and we are praying to God, then He hears us. But when we are stubborn in our evil de uh, in our evil um, doings and our evil sins that we are committing, then God is far from us and He's not listening to us. So that's the first thing. Is the first thing when we begin to turn, God will hear from heaven. The second part is He says He will forgive their sin. You know, unlike human beings, God does not hold grudges. And sometimes, you know, we we think about this idea of forgiveness of sin and we kind of take it lightly. You know, maybe we take it lightly because we have um, taken for granted the idea that God forgives. You know, think about if God were a human being and that that human being, all of these billions of people have hurt that person somehow. You know, we have a hard time when one person hurts us to forgive them. We struggle when one person does or says something against me, we struggle to forgive them. Imagine all of the things throughout all generations that all the billions of people that have lived on earth, that have rejected God, that have blasphemed God, that have you know, denied his existence, that have not believed his words when he spoke. All those things that people have done against one another, against his children. And then we say, you know what, despite all those things that we have done, when we go to Christ and we ask him to forgive us to forgive us he forgives us you know just like that when we truly ask him to forgive us he forgives us we take this for granted how great a forgiveness this is we are not deserving of such a forgiveness we have a hard time forgiving just the smallest minute thing and yet god forgives such amazingly such in a, in a big way and god doesn't hold grudges it says what i will remember your sins no more and so it's not like he says he forgives, but then later on he like reminds us, yeah, but you did this and this and this. No, he just he, he forgets completely. It's like it doesn't ha this hasn't happened yet. It's like it didn't happen. That's how much Christ forgives. So he he calls us to repent, and he calls us to this life of forgiveness, 
And when we are forgiven by God, the power of sin is dissipated. Remember we said that sin is a barrier between us and God. It separates us from God. Forgiveness and repentance is the exact opposite. All of those barriers, all those things that keep us far away is removed. So that there is no barrier. So there is no blocking. There is no, nothing that is like separating us from God. It's like tearing down a wall that separates two people. right? And this is so important. And this goes to the idea of turning from sin and humbling ourselves. Are we too proud to acknowledge our sin to him? Are we too proud to ask for forgiveness? The second thing that kind of makes us take this lightly is that we're not really thinking a lot about our sins at all. We're not uh, really thinking about what is sin. You know, sometimes people will confess and they really feel like they don't have much to confess. Uh, I really don't have very many sins. I really haven't done any big thing wrong. You know, I, I don't, I'm not really paying attention. I'm not really examining myself. I really don't know myself. I'm just kind of living life, doing what needs to be done, surviving, trying to get ahead, trying to get for myself what I want, trying to be happy, and that's my life. You know, and I would think that categorizes a lot of people. Um, that's my life. But to seek out forgiveness means that I know myself and I acknowledge God's law and I acknowledge how I fall short of his law and that when I fall short of his law, I ask him to forgive me. To really understand oneself is a great thing. And I cannot be healed unless I really understand that I need to be healed. Right? I have to first experience that realization of my weakness, my sinfulness, the darkness that's inside me. So then I can begin to turn to the light and realize that I am in need of him. And that's the problem right now in the world. The world doesn't see that they are the cause of destruction. That they're the ones, we are the ones, all of us collectively, are the ones that have done this to ourselves as far as all the corruption and sin that's in the world. So we must acknowledge and humble ourselves before God and then he will be faithful to forgive us. In Psalm 103, it says, He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And this is a great and liberating and wonderful um, when we understand it, when we really believe it, when we really accept this. It's wonderful that God is calling us to acknowledge the depth and magnitude of our sin, the disgusting things that we don't even want to think about. But when we think about it, when we realize it, he removes it. It's gone, right? But if we never take the time to think, if we never take the time to sit and think and, 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 and meditate on who I am and what I'm doing and why I'm doing it, then I will miss out on this great opportunity for me to be forgiven by the, by the Father. And this is why repentance is such an important sacrament in the church. You know, at the beginning of our lives, for many of us, we are baptized and chrismated. And then the rest of our lives, what do we do? What do we do with that time? You know, what do we spend our lives doing? We just say, well, you know, I was baptized, so I'm a Christian. You know, that's that's good. Yeah, that's good. But there's so much more that needs to be done other than just say, well, I had a one-time sanctification process. I had a one-time, uh, you know, process where my sin was erased. Repentance is something that causes our sins to be erased all the time, every day, any time that I repent. And any time that I confess, my sin is removed. And the sin isn't, you know, I, I keep sinning. Because I am, I'm weak. We, we, we need to be constantly doing this self-examination, repenting, and confessing. So we get now to the last point of the verse, which is really the title of this whole Bible study, which is the part about healing the land. Healing the land. God is now through this process of us humbling ourselves, of seeking him, understanding our identity in him realizing that we are called by him of, of you know all of these things that we've talked about what is the end result the end result is that we are healed and this healing is so important and this healing isn't doesn't just mean like a physical healing like we're suddenly people who are paralyzed are going to start walking no, actually there's a greater healing than this and it's, and we see it in our time more than at any other time people are depressed they're sad they're not satisfied, they're lonely, they feel like they're empty, things are missing in their life, they suffer. They suffer quietly. 
And even if from the outside they have cars and houses and relationships and all kinds of stuff, but maybe at no other time before, we are more empty now as a culture, as a society, than at any other time before. And this is why. Because we are far from God. That He is the source of healing. He is the source of mental health. He is the source. We have such a mental health issue nowadays because so many people do not have any internal sense of peace. No internal sense of self-understanding. No sense of, I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. There's nothing. It's just aimlessness. Just a sense of aimlessness and feeding my desires day after day after day and that's all I have. That, that results in nothing good. That results in no sense of stability and no sense of joy. It's just an empty life of repeating the same thing over and over and then one day I die. And that's life. That's, that's existence. So if God were to allow moments like now, you know, in, the, in, in our lives, to kind of break this pattern, to break this cycle, then maybe for those people who had heard about God and Christianity for hundreds of times before, but never felt like they really wanted to engage with it, never really wanted to take any action because it really didn't, you know, it, it didn't really make any sense to them, they rejected it and so on. Maybe in these days, you know, we as ambassadors of Christ can make such a difference to when those people who are in the world that are suffering psychologically as well as physically from everything that's happening around us, that we can be a beacon of light and bring glory to God to help bring people to salvation because they see the internal health that we have because we know where we came from, we know where we're going, we know who we are, that we turn to God in repentance so that he would forgive us our sins and that this would be the source of true healing inside of us that we share with others and we attract people to God and the church through this that I'm sure all over the world there are people that are turning that there are people that are praying that never prayed or you know when was the last time they prayed let this be a time where we encourage people to come to the church I know right now maybe it's difficult because the churches are not really accessible but there will be a time where the churches are reopened as before. And hopefully in this time, we are able to bring more people to God and that they would realize and see what they've been missing all along. In Acts 3.19, it says, Repent therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. This idea of refreshing, you know, that we are refreshed, that, 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 that repentance brings refreshment. That if any of you have ever had the experience where after you go and you confess your sins, that maybe before the confession you're feeling bad and shameful and guilty and maybe nervous about the confession, but then after you're done you walk out feeling new, renewed and, 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 and different and light and feeling like, like you're starting again, like God is not counting against you what you did before. This, as human beings, we need this. We need this refreshing. We need to feel like you know, my past actions are, are gone, are not counted against me, that I have a renewed hope, that I'm still on the right track, that God is still loving me, that he is acknowledging me, that he is leading me to himself. So it's very important for us to understand, you know, this process. Let me read the whole verse again. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and hear, heal their land. And this is definitely, maybe more than any other time in our lifetime, that we would read this verse and understand the magnitude of what is being said, and how much it is that we really, really need it. So it's very important for us, um, you know, to, to turn to God, in these times and while maybe we can't attend as many liturgies but we can certainly read in the Bible every day we can certainly pray every day we can certainly be honest and diligent in our fasting you know and you know I, I, I sent out an email um, earlier today about that God willing we should all like pray the first hour of the Akbay in the morning and pray Psalm 129 and or sorry uh, 142 
and then in the evening we can pray the 12th hour and pray Psalm 129 so that even though we might be separated by distance and yet we are still all praying together and that's one of the beautiful things about in the church how we all together are facing the east when we pray so that whether we are in a church or whether we are in individual homes whether we are in one part of the earth or another that it's like we're all still praying together facing the Lord waiting for his coming all at one time in one voice and we're asking him to fill us and to come and to heal us and to restore us again so I think this is again a, a big wake-up call for us that you know we're asking God to come and to heal we're asking us asking him to come and to heal our land and to restore us individually as a church as a country as a society as a world we're asking him to come and to you know to change and to transform us again there was one person I think here who posted a question on the chat um, they said which do you think is harder to do to forgive yourself or to forgive others um, it's a very good question um, it's a difficult answer which is harder I think uh, forgiving yourself um, you know definitely definitely requires us to acknowledge our weakness you know, I think if, if we acknowledge our weakness, if we acknowledge that we are sinners and that we shouldn't expect perfection from ourselves and instead we should expect that we fall, that we stumble and we turn to God in humility and ask him to forgive us. But I think if we really truly understood that about ourselves, then not only would we be able to forgive ourselves, but we would also be able to forgive others. The reason I can't forgive others is because I feel that I'm superior to them. I feel like I am not in need of forgiveness uh, because I'm so righteous and so it gives me license to judge other people and not to forgive them. But if I really did understand myself, had humility, like the way we spoke about to understand myself well, then not only would I be able to forgive myself because I see that God forgives me, but I would also be able to forgive others. So God willing, at least until things change, um, we'll continue to have the Bible study uh, on uh, Thursdays at 7.30. Um, and God willing, something we can continue to do. And uh, if you're not aware, we have on the YouTube chat on the YouTube channel. There's a chat for the video. So if you're watching it there and you want to make comments or um, post any questions or anything, I'll be monitoring that. And uh, God bless you, and I hope you're all safe. And God willing, we'll see you soon.